0: Well, it is great to see everyone here this morning. So glad we can be together. I hope you had a great holiday season. Uh, you know, our kids are six and eight right now, our daughters, and so Christmas is an exciting time of year. How can Christmas not be a great season with little kids so excited about the gifts and the giving? You know, one of the things we found this year is our girls enjoyed other people opening the gift they were giving, even more than opening their own gifts. They loved, the, you know, that your face lights up when, when they've given you something that makes you happy. At any rate, it's been a great holiday season, um, and we are in a new year. Today, I want to talk about some of the questions that we ask in life. I want to just explore questions. I was doing my um, daily Bible study here in the new year and started a new program, and on one of the days, we were reading both in Genesis and in Matthew, and observing the questions being asked in Scripture. And it it got me thinking, what are the questions that we ask on a regular basis? Uh, Are are all questions created equally? Are all questions good, or are there distinctions between them? And today today we're going to talk about questions, but help me get started on this. Help. Let's jog each other's memory as we uh, consider the subject of questions. What are some of the most frequent questions that you hear? In your week, feel free to shout it out i'd love to hear what's what's the most frequent questions asked of you or that you hear throughout your week? What was that? Do you believe okay how 's the market yeah why that's a Yes, did you finish the laundry what 's for dinner? What was that? How old's your baby yeah that that makes sense. Uh, I Do you guys hear the one, honey, where are my keys? Yeah, we hear that one a lot. If you have kids, it's always the question of but why, right? That question. Yeah, exactly. And then there's much deeper questions in life, questions that go much beyond, or much deeper into our lives and our souls, the kinds of questions like, should I take this job or is it time for my family to move? The questions, like in a marriage ceremony, do you take this man or this woman to be your spouse, right? There's, there's the deep questions of life, and of course there's the questions of faith. Who is Jesus? What do I believe? And these sorts of things. There's many questions, and each day we're asked, uh, and we ask, many different questions. You know, questions play an important role in our lives. There's questions that we'd like to avoid, right? There's questions that I'd rather just not ask or I'd rather not deal with. But questions play a, an important role of disrupting our equilibrium, of, of forcing us to ask questions that challenge our, our norms, right? The questions are the catalysts to begin change sometimes in our lives. So questions, uh, even challenging questions, hold some value. I'm curious, as I was reflecting on the subject of questions this week, is it okay that some questions are either unanswerable or will take years to find conclusion on? You know, these are some of the hardest questions in life, those ones that don't resolve quickly. Some of us have questions of faith that don't resolve quickly. And that's okay. We want to talk about these questions today. In Scripture, um, there are approximately 3,300 questions asked. Here's the interesting thing. Many of them are left unanswered. But in Scripture, 3,300 questions are asked. Or let me be more specific about Jesus and his ministry. In the four Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, we read of 307 uh, questions um, that Jesus asked. So Jesus asked 307 different questions. He was asked 183 different questions, of which he only answered three. Isn't that interesting? Now, that is not my own research, so let me quote my source there. Uh, Martin Copenhaver uh, writes a book, Jesus is the Question, the 307 questions Jesus asked and the three that he answered. So there's a few interesting things that he talks about in this book. He talks about um, the fact that Jesus asked more questions than was asked of him. And quite often when Jesus was asked a question, he would respond with another question. Can, can you remember these sorts of things happening? Right? He'd, he'd throw them off by challenging them with another question of his own. And he only answered three. Uh, we'll need to pick this book up and read it to, uh, to go a little bit deeper and, and, and know, so which three. But today I want to look at a number of questions in scripture. I want to allow scripture to kind of be the framework, the lens through which we evaluate some of the questions that we ask in life. Now let me say this before we dive into scripture and look at, at five different questions asked in scripture. Uh, not all questions are created equal, okay? Um, and let me give you an example of, of what that might look like and what that means. Sometimes in difficult seasons of life, when we're struggling with depression or when things have gone wrong, uh, we find ourselves down. And one question we might ask sometimes in our lives is, why am I such a failure? Okay. Let me propose that this is not a healthy or a good question. Not all questions are created equal. It's natural that sometimes those thoughts may come to our mind, but to allow the question of why am I such a failure to resonate can can you just imagine as we think about this the effect that has on our lives, on the way we live, on our spirit, on the way we engage with people? When we ask the wrong questions, sometimes we'll find ourselves uh, creating greater problems for ourselves. However, there's other questions that could be asked in that low seasons, season of life. For instance, what do I have control over and how can the situation be improved? You see how that question in a low point in life has the ability to begin to uh, formulate a plan. It has the ability to allow us to begin to move forward as opposed to drawing us into deeper depression with questions like, why am I such a failure? Or for those of us that are followers of Jesus, the question may be something like, what does God have to say about me and the situation I'm facing? Right? These are questions that have vast potential in our lives. Not all questions are created equally. Let's begin in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The very first question asked in Scripture is asked by Satan, by the serpent. And there's a, there's a distinctive purpose to what Satan is trying to do here. You see, the question is not genuine. It's not a value, but instead it's designed to manipulate and to cause them to question. In Genesis 3, verse 1, the first question in Scripture, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You see, Satan asks this question to Adam and Eve with the intent of separating them from God. You remember, not all questions are created equally, and the motivation behind a question matters deeply. Satan knew that with this question, he could create division. And what's interesting is the story continues. You, you probably know it. They eat of um, the fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They find themselves naked and confused and fearful as God begins to approach in the garden. They've broken that one command. And, and uh, God asks, the next question here in scripture, he asks the question, where are you? And I think it's an interesting question. Uh, it's always struck me as a little bit ironic because wouldn't God know where they are, right? Uh, okay, so, so maybe they're not in the normal place that they met at this time in the afternoon. I don't know how it worked or how it looked. But where are you? Honestly, God could quite easily know that. But I think his question goes far beyond geographical location less a question of where are you geographically and more a question of where are you psychologically. And ultimately, I think the answer was they found themselves lost. They were lost. So questions in Scripture, um, uh, the first being, did God really say you can't eat? A manipulative question designed to pull people from God. Let's fast forward just a little bit uh in the story. Genesis chapter four, verse nine. The first question that a human asks in Scripture. And it it's a story where Cain has killed his brother, um, and Cain has tried to cover up what he has done. But God comes to Cain and he asks, Where is your brother? And like so often in Scripture, a question is answered with another question. Cain asks, am I my brother's keeper? Now again, his purpose is to cover up. His purpose is to deflect the question that God has asked him. But I think this is an interesting question to be the first one a human asks in Scripture. Because like as a church here at the Vine, my dream is that we are a people that don't just no good theology, but people that care deeply for our brother and our sister, that care deeply for the world around us. It was interesting to me this week to realize the first question a person asks in Scripture is, am I my brother's keeper? And then the rest of Scripture will roll out into this beautiful narrative of describing, yes, this is what it looks like to love your neighbor." This is what it looks like to put others above yourself. Ultimately, the answer to the question is yes. We do hold responsibility for people and things around us. We'll jump forward at this point to the New Testament. And we're going to look at a couple questions there. The first question asked in the New Testament is uh, from the Magi. It's Matthew chapter 2 verse 2. And they come to Herod, they come near, Jesus has been born, and they come asking, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Where is the one that's been born king of the Jew? I think it's a beautiful question. Where is Jesus, in essence? Where is the Messiah? Where is my Savior? And in this case, it was more geographical than maybe when God asked them, literally, where is he? Um, but for us today, I think it has a geographical and a psychological aspect to it. That we are asking both, where is Jesus, that I can be with him, but we're also asking, what has it done to my psyche? What has it done to the way, what has he done for the way that I live? Where is this baby that's been born? Now, Her- Herod in this story in Matthew actually shares the inquiry. Um, he-, he also wants to know where Jesus is but again for a very different reason. You see, Herod wants to know so that he can squelch this king before he grows up to ever threaten his own rule. And so we see here in Matthew chapter 2 as we look at this question and then Herod's reflecting that same question back to other people, we see that a question is not inherently good or bad based on itself alone, but often the motivation that it's asked You've probably seen this um, many times in life. Those of us that, have, that are parents ha- have certainly seen this. Uh, when you're driving to a location and your kids won't quit asking, are we there yet? Let's be honest. At some point, they just found out it made us mad, and they're going to keep doing it because of it, right? The motivation behind the questions we ask can drastically change the nature of that very question. And in Matthew chapter 16, an incredibly important question is asked of Jesus. Jesus starts the questioning as he's talking with his apostles in in Matthew 16 verse 13, and he says, who do people say that I am? And so they think about what people say of Jesus in their culture in their communities, and they say, well, some say that you're um, a prophet returned. Some say you're Elijah. Some say that you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. You're a great teacher. You're a great man. People are saying that. You're a healer. Incredible things are happening. They cover their bases. And Jesus turns to them, and he says, who do you say that I am? And And this is where Peter makes his confession. You are the Christ, the Messiah, my Savior, the Son of God, is what Peter responds. You know, and and each of us are on this journey of asking exactly this question, or answering this question, I mean. Who do we say that Jesus is? And you know, this plays out in a number of ways in our lives. It plays out in the conversations that we have with people and our opportunities to share that we're followers of Jesus. It also plays out just in the way we engage people in the world around us, the smiles and the holding open of a door, the kindness to a clerk as they check us out and have been incredibly rude to us, right? But this question of who is Jesus? Well, it begins to transform the way that we think. The way that we speak, the ways that we live. And if asked today, if Jesus were to ask you, Hey, who do people say that I am? Just like culturally around you in the world. Who do people say that I am? Who do people say Jesus is? And you quite often, uh, maybe we'd respond with something like, Well, people say, um, you were a great teacher, right? You were a wise man. Uh, uh, those that follow Jesus say much more. But many would say, well, Jesus was a prophet. He was a great teacher, some of these sorts of things. I don't know, how many of you have read C.S. Lewis' uh, Mere Christianity? It's a it's a pretty common book, yeah. Some really interesting stuff in there. He speaks to the subject of Jesus as just a good moral teacher or something of that nature. And he says um, in in his book, Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and worship him as Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. What he speaks to is Jesus' own claims of being the Messiah, of being the Son of God. Can Jesus be a great teacher if he's either lying or delusional about his very nature on earth? This is the question that C.S. Lewis is posing for us. Jesus' claims were significant, incredibly vast. He claimed to be one with God, and therefore, we have two options to accept him as the, as the savior that he claimed to be, or to consider him delusional and to write off his claims altogether? That's a tricky question culturally as we talk with people, one that uh, ought to be dealt with sensitively and lovingly as we all have doubts and we all have questions and we ought to invite people to ask good questions. Who is this man, Jesus? And we slowly uh, and patiently Seek understanding. Final question I want to look at today, and then we'll wrap up. It's found in Luke chapter 18, but the question is actually again repeated in Acts chapter 16. Jesus is standing in front of a rich young ruler, a man who has put his trust in his wealth, in his authority, uh, his, his stature, his his place in society, and uh, and he's put his hope in things that he can do and accomplish. And the man asked Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells the man, you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. What's fascinating to me is in Acts, written by this man, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke in his sequel, the same question is asked of Peter. It's a Philippian jailer who's just witnessed the power of God. And the man comes to uh, the apostles and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Peter says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I want you to consider this paradox. The same essential question is asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? Let's, let's kind of group that as, as a common question. So, so they ask, what do I have to do to be saved? And in one case, Jesus says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. But in the next case, Peter will say, well, just believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Why the drastically different answers? Well, it's because of the circumstances, the hearts of the individual asking them. You see, the difference was that the rich young ruler asked, what must I do to justify himself? He was convinced that his status in society, his wealth, and the fact that he had adhered to the law, that he didn't break the Ten Commandments, was sufficient. And so he came to prove himself to Jesus. He came with the intent of being, um, of being praised, right? You've done it. Good job. His pride and his motivation behind the question betray him. As Jesus says, you've not done it because you've not yet given me your heart. You've not yet learned to trust me as your Lord and your savior." But in the other case, the Philippian jailer asks for an entirely different reason. He's desperate to know more of God. He's desperate to find a savior because the things he has done has left him desperately wanting has left him now in a terrible situation and circumstance in which he could lose his life had he lost the prisoners in his jail in that story. He's terrified, and he says, what do I need to do to be saved? And the answer is so simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. So I want to I zoom out and, and ask again the questions that we ask in life. And I, and I won't make you recite these, but I want to take just a moment as we close out today for us each to consider what are some of the repeating questions in my head? What are the motivations behind those questions and where are they leading? We identified both in practical ways and through Scripture that not all questions are created equal. Some can be born of manipulation. or Some can be born uh, of, of a desire to cause harm uh, to others. Some of the questions we ask of ourselves can have an incredibly negative impact when there's much better questions that could be asked in that very moment. Not all questions are created equal. So take a moment right now. What are some of the major questions that you have in life? Do they revolve around love? Do they revolve around work? What are some of the major questions we ask in life? Do we have major questions of faith? I want to challenge us each today as we head home, tonight as we head to our beds, or at any quiet moment we can find in the day. What are the questions ringing in your head? Should they maybe be substituted for some better questions? Are they inviting us towards the goodness and love that God has for us? Or are the questions actually part of what's tearing us apart inside? I'd invite you this week to explore the questions that you ask of people and the questions that are asked of you. I'd be curious to hear. You can text me or Facebook me or something. I'm curious what we realize as we become more aware of the vast numbers of questions that we ask and are asked on a daily basis. I'd be curious in the week to come, if you have an interesting question that came up, send it our way that we can kind of share in that. Put it on our Facebook page or something. But let's explore the questions of life. Let's ask hard questions, but let's ensure that we're asking good questions. Let's check our motivation behind the questions that we ask. And let's find the blessing in asking good, hard questions for the right reasons. Let's pray about that. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for this time together, and we thank you for an opportunity to look into your word. Uh, Father, there are uh, huge, vast questions asked in Scripture, some of them answered, uh, some of them unanswered. I pray that you will give us grace to trust and to seek Give us patience as we pursue understanding. Father, help us to ask good questions. Help us to ask hard questions. Help us to be patient as we seek your understanding in the days and the months to come. Father God, we thank you for Jesus and the hope we found in him. In his name we pray, amen.